He's saying to his church, welcome to fall. Can you believe it? Welcome to the new ministry year, 2021-2022. Now, like we usually do every year, there is one theme that's going to run throughout everything we do, and it's found in this little word. It's the word to stand. Now, this theme came out of prayer. It didn't come about cultural observation or us looking at what we're going through. God gave us this word. There is something that God, in this season, wants us as a local church, not just to learn about or understand more, but to do. We're going to be called to understand and know what truth is and love is, but also we're going to be asked by God to stand in truth and stand in love. A few weeks ago, I had the great privilege of going on vacation. My family went out to BC, and it was amazing. We went to a water park. Now, of course, I haven't been to a water park in like two and a half years. So we're there, and it's a little weird experience even being outside with all these people, but we're there. My kids begged me to go on this one slide, which was like these rapids that went down this huge tube. And as I'm standing there, waiting to go up on this ride, I started counting, and nine out of 10 people in the tube, two people sitting in a tube, would crash. I mean, crash hard and would just be like wiped out. Only one out of 10 made it. So I made the decision. I'm going to be that one out of 10. I'm going to stand. I'm going to be an overcomer. We're going to do this. So Emma, who's my 12-year-old, and I went up, and we were waiting in line. Crash, crash, destruction. Not me. Not me. I can do this. We get to the top. We get in the tube. The two of us are there, and we start going down. The very first thing that happens is we turn around backwards. So now I can't see anything. I'm screaming at a higher pitch, of course, than my 12-year-old daughter. It's just true. I can't anticipate what's going on back and forth, all around, zero control. And I knew that crash was coming. I knew it. So I gripped as hard as I could on those handles because I'm an overcomer and I'm going to stand. Well, when we hit that water, we crashed so hard. I thought maybe my daughter was on the cement. I mean, it was like bang. Well, let's just say that dad John had no more rides at the end of that day. Uh, I've had a rib out for uh, most of COVID and my chiropractor is trying to get it back in place. Let's just say the crash didn't help so well. This brings me to the key theme for this year, to stand. And let me say this, if you cannot see, you actually cannot stand. Let me say that again. If you cannot see, you, you cannot stand. So we need to choose to see clearly so that we can stand courageously. Now, where is one of the best places in all of the Bible to understand and be challenged and to be encouraged when to stand, how to stand, and what to stand on? Well, it's in a little letter that maybe you've never read or maybe read only once or twice. It's very rarely read. It's the little letter of 2 John. It's the second shortest letter in the whole New Testament. It's only 245 words. And 2 John, and we'll get to this later in the year, 3 John are very rarely read but they're encouraging, important, and critical to what God supernaturally is asking this church to do in this season. Now, the author of 2 John is Jesus' best friend, John the Apostle. He end up, ends up writing the Gospel of John, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and also that book that we always get freaked out about, the book of Revelation, which, just a little insight for the church, the book of Revelation, we're going to tackle it this year, not part of it, we're doing the run. I hope you're ready. Buckle up, Sanctus. We're going into Revelation territory. Okay, 
That's for later. But for now, we're going to just walk through 2 John. It's written somewhere about 85 to 95 uh, AD. And you might not know this, but every single one of John's best friends in the original 12 that followed Jesus have been murdered for following Jesus, other than Judas, who took his own life. And yet here he is, probably in his late 80s, still with joy, proclaiming the good news and challenging us to live in the light. Now, what you might not know, I didn't either, is this, that a lot of scholars and leaders believe that 2 John was actually not a separate letter, but actually was the cover letter for 1 John. Other people say, no, no, 1 John was written and then 2 John later. Either way, it's short, it's beautiful, it's challenging, it's helpful, and within the first six verses, so much is given to us. So, let's read God's Word together. If you've got a Bible, would you turn to 2 John? And there's not chapter 1, 2, and 3. It's just a chapter. 2 John 1. The elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only, and not I only, but also all who know the truth. Now, the elder is John the Apostle. And by the way, elder doesn't mean wise or old. My son uh, just... Uh, was hanging out with me last weekend and I was getting out of bed and remember I had that rib issue. So I groaned when I got out of bed and he's like, dad, you got an old man back. And I was like, thanks, no. He's like, yeah, and actually you've got an old man head. I see that bald spot growing. And then he said, without any invitation, he's like, and not only that, actually you got an old man beard, it's turning gray. And then he looked at me and says, and you have things growing on your face by your eyes. I'm like, what do you mean? These lines? He's like, yeah. I said, they're wrinkles. He's like, yeah, old man face. And then he just left. What a gift. What a gift of mercy and encouragement my son has. Mm. Well, that's not what this is talking about here. Uh, elder means pastor, spiritual leader over this church and others. Now, the real question you need to ask is, well, who's the lady? And who's the kids that God has chosen? Well, she's mentioned six times in this little letter, and there's two options. Either she's a real lady with real kids, we'd never get her name, or actually it's a metaphor, and lady means like the local church and the children make up the church. And actually... I think that's right. I think Paul's writing to this church he loves. And remember, Paul calls the church the bride of Christ. And Israel in the Old Testament is, is called like a mother. But no matter, the word that matters to you today, to us today, is that word chosen. Her primary DNA and her children's primary DNA identity is found in another's calling to be family. She's called. The truth of calling is not curse, but comfort. Being predestined is promise, not problem. Being elected should be enough to get you through the difficult storms of life that you face. See, this is a core part of our identity as Christians and as a local church. Paul had the same idea when he was writing to the book, writing to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 1.4, he says, God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose he called, he elected by God. The focus here is on God's own initiation and what God has already accomplished and God's gonna maintain. Now I want you again, I know there's lots of controversy at this, but I want you to stop and hear and embrace the good news. We are the focus, you are the focus of God's holy love. We're the focus of his divine initiation. We're the focus, focus of his accomplishments. We're the focus of his perfect maintenance before time existed, before the seven days of creation. Before, 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 God chose and promised within himself that he would choose us, save us, hold us, and never let me or you go. See, I've preached this before, let me do it again. I wanna live my life, I want my identity 
to be grounded in and held by a hand that never falters and never lets me go. I'm prone to wander. So are you. We need someone to hold us beyond ourselves. Paul said this in Romans 8, 29, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus' Son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Foreknew, by definition, is to intimately know. And it's an active word. He does something, not a passive word. He knows what's going to happen. This is not foresight. God knows who's going to choose him, so he chooses us based on his choosing. No, 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 no. It's foreordination. I choose you. It's exactly what God said about Israel in Amos 3.2. You only have I known, chosen, sympathized with, loved out of all the families of the earth. So John here means to choose beforehand. God has done all that is needed to secure our eternal glory. And this again, by the way, is the needed pill to cure us of religion. I'm saved by what I do. It overcomes and breaks the life spirituality. I find enlightenment, peace, purpose by what I read, how I meditate, or what I practice. It, over, it also overcomes and confronts the lie of human self-reliance and human boasting. And on this truth, this is how you begin to stand. Right now, in this moment, I'm chosen. We are chosen. And oh, in this really controversial time, let me just say this. Our unity does not come from who I agree with or who I even like. Our unity is based on whom God the Father has called and placed in Jesus' family. Do you act like that? But there's more. We're not only chosen. Listen to where John goes next. To the lady chosen by God and to her children because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Now, when John says truth, what does he mean? Well, it always means two things in the Bible. The truth about who God is, revealed fully, of course, in Jesus, and the standards that God has given to his people to live out. And notice right here, truth isn't perception. Truth does not change. Real truth is eternal. It ripples into eternity because God himself is eternal and truth comes from him. Jesus is the truth yesterday, today, and tomorrow and forever. Remember, he said that not one word of truth will fade away or change. Let me put it this way. The living word, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has given us the written word, the Bible, which is the ultimate source for our faith, life, and practice. Jesus and his word, the Bible, must form who we worship, how we worship, and the Bible, God's revelation to us, must have the final say on how we live our life and how we act. Your pain, though real, or history, or learning, or culture, or family background, or feelings, or your real inclinations, or your DNA, or your social media, or your education, or your sincerity, or your authenticity, cannot have more power than Scripture. It can never have more power than God's Word. You're called into God's family if you're a Christian, and you've been given the truth. But there's more. John's still in a rule helping us sort this out. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, uh, God the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. Okay, again, here's the gospel found in one little simple greeting. This is no hallmark greeting. This is not some email signature that no one thinks about. No, 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 this is everything. Grace, undeserved love. Grace, mercy. Peace, shalom, a restored relationship between us and a holy loving God. This is what you've experienced if you're a Christian. This is God's ongoing gift with you and over you. 
I think Charles Wendell years ago said, grace leads to peace, cause and effect, root to fruit. And all of this is mercy. God's free, kind, undeserved, unmerited love is given. And notice, you can't earn these things. You can't bribe these things. You can't seduce these things. You can't achieve these things. God just gives us peace, mercy, and grace because he is love. Notice, by the way, because we're talking about truth today, that grace, peace, and mercy come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. I just need to point this out again and again. I did it earlier this summer and a few years ago. The Father, God himself, and the Lord Jesus Christ on, in this verse are on equal footing. What does that matter? Don't forget, John is Jewish. He's an Orthodox Jew. And he's placing Jesus, his best friend, on the same level as God. There's only one God, the, the true living God. The same God that walked with Adam and Eve, the same God with Noah, the same God of Abraham, of Moses, of Elijah, Isaiah. Are you joking me? Yes, from the very beginning. Christians have accepted the divinity of Jesus. Jesus can't be in that space unless he is God because no one contains that space except God himself. But here's the real moment as we get going this year. Something more is going on here that's going to help us be grounded, to see right, to stand right, and move forward. Did you notice that little phrase? Will be with us and truth in, and love. God himself, everyone's thinking caps on, this is really, this matters, please. God himself and the church are rooted, are bound together. This is the bottom floor. Truth and love at the same time. And the order matters. Both of these are the core expression of God's very identity. Another way of saying this is holiness and love. In other words, God is holy and God is love at the same time. Watch this. 1 John 1.5. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Okay? 1 Peter 1.16. Peter's quoting the Old Testament. God says, be holy. Why? Because I am holy. Uh, 1 John 4.8. God is love. Okay, let's start with holiness. Holiness means two things. First, it means separate or beyond creation. God is above creation. He's outside of time and space. He's not part of creation. So in this sense, God was not holy before anything existed because there was nothing there except him. But holy also means without sin, consecrated. There's no darkness in him. And in this sense, God has always been holy. Okay, just park that there. God also is love. By the way, I've never, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. God being love is proof that God is three and one and one and three, the Trinity. See, you can't be patient or kind, or you cannot envy or not be angry if you're the only one in the room. Love always needs another. And God is eternal. So the Father has always loved the Son perfectly, and the Son has always loved the Spirit perfectly, and the Spirit has always loved the Father perfectly. The divine dance of love has always been. Yet here's the point. Lean in. You must be perfect without sin, holy to be loving in the full sense. You can't always be patient perfectly. You can't always be kind perfectly. You, you cannot be angry, cons not angry consistently unless you're holy first. That is why it says in the Bible, like perfect love drives out fear. Holy love. God's love is rooted in his holiness. God is holy love, not just holy and not just love. God's love relies on his light, his holiness. Now, John, 
Why are you saying all this? You sound like some boring professor on some rabbit trail. It doesn't matter. No, no, it absolutely matters. Why? Because all we hear about in the church these days is God is love. And this matters also in our culture and in this moment for the church. If you're going to stand in our culture that has hijacked love and reduced it to phrases like love yourself, your authentic self, what you feel is ultimately good, and actually, you know, if someone challenges you, they're immediately toxic and should be canceled. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you hijack love like that, then you'll make God unholy and you'll live an unholy life with the title Christian and you'll think God is fine with your sin and he's not. David Wells' famous definition needs to be brought back to the church. Worldliness is whatever makes righteousness look strange and sin look normal. Worldliness is whatever makes righteousness look strange and sin look normal. See, without holiness, you'll gloss over and remove sin, judgment, wrath, and justice. Oh, but the opposite is just as true. If God is only holy, only truth, only life, so transcendent, there's no connection, there's no salvation, there's no hope, there's no second chance, there's no mercy is new every morning, no connection. But notice, you need both, but notice the process, truth to love. This ancient path, which is being lost in our culture and is being lost at a rapid rate in churches, needs to be recovered. See, John here is following what the followers of God have always believed. See, he's following what you even see in the Ten Commandments. You start with truth and you arrive at amazing love. See, God didn't just wake up one day and go, I don't think I like murder or lying or stealing. No, no. Like we learned years ago in our Ten Commandments series. The Ten Commandments are not laws separated from God. They come from his DNA. They're a mirror of him. So when you see the Ten Commandments, you're seeing the very nature of God. He says no to murder. He's a life-giving God. He hates stealing because he's a gift-giving God. He hates adultery because he's a covenant-keeping God. It was J.I. Packer again, that great Anglican thinker that once said, God's law expresses his character. It reflects his own behavior. It alerts us, lean in, to what he love, will love and hate to see in us. It's a recipe for holiness, consecrated conformity to God, which is true, uh, which is his true image, humanity, you. When you see God in all of his perfection, his holiness, then our sin becomes quick, really clear, quick. And then you'll know that you're in trouble. See, you'll never know if you need a, need a savior if you think you're okay. See, the Ten Commandments show us the holiness of God. They show us that none of us are okay, spiritual, religious, or secular. It's what Paul wrote in Romans 3.20, through the law we become conscience, conscious of sin. And once we know we're in real trouble and we're really, really lost, then we wonder of God's love. And then at that moment, we're driven to his mercy. See, if you're going to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, then you have to be rooted in the holiness of God and the love of God. Grace and truth, truth and love, justice and mercy. Love is obedience, obedience is love. That's why John writes next in verse 4, it, is, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commands us. Now, some of the church at this moment is walking the truth, right thinking about God and right lifestyle choices based on the will of God. Again, not to get into salvation, but to love Him. It's being molded by God's Word, the Bible. Truth also is not just thinking right things, it's walking into the truth and walking in truth. And again, just to help us notice this, God, He says here, commands us to walk in truth. 
The command is outside of you coming inside you. you, 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 you self-revelation isn't from inside, it's from the outside. And by the way, as a side note, you can't treat the Bible like Apple Music or Spotify. It's not even Spotify Premium. See, what's happening is we live in Netflix world and all of it. We curate what we like. I like this style of music and not that style of music, right? You know all these algorithms between, behind Netflix and Apple Music and, and even TikTok. There's all these algorithms that keep curating what we like. So we live in an echo chamber. But see, you can't treat God's word like that. You need the whole counsel of God, like old preachers used to say. So you will experience the full holiness of God and truth of God and love of God. And you can't get out. So here's John's point. Now you've been reminding that God is holy in love. Now that you know you've been called, now that you know you have grace, peace, and mercy, now you're starting to know what truth is and what falseness is, then he says in verse 5, and now, dear lady, I'm not writing a new command, but one we've heard from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. Once you've been loved, as you continue to walk in love, then we're moved to love others. Now see, this is just a repeat of what he taught in John 15. John 15, 9, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. Oh, here's an interesting verse, verse 10, very different than what our culture teaches. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. Just as I've obeyed the Father's commands and I remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I love you. Greater love has no person than this, than they lay, uh, lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I've learned from the Father, I've made known to you. Oh, oh you, you think this? No, no, you didn't choose me. No, no, I chose you. And I appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that's gonna last. Then my Father will give whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. We're called friends. Did you catch that? Not just friends. But again, the problem is we hear the word love all the time. Instagram wisdom has placed it everywhere. But we need to come back and actually say, well, what does that mean again? I know almost every, everyone listening to this knows what I'm about to say, but I just need to do it again. What does love look like? Like? What is Christian love? How is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit express love within himself forever and ever? And how are we called to do it? Oh, it's 1 Corinthians 13, 4. And this is the definition of God-given love. God-given love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It keeps, it is, sorry, it is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let me do this again. Love is patient. Patient means you're long-suffering, uncomplaining, and enduring. Uncomplaining. Kind. You do not give people what they deserve. You give them mercy, not wrath. How are you doing online? It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. God-given love does not promote rivalry, does not like fighting, and does not like fighting for the favor of others. 
Uh, boast is braggart, windbag, self-catered, calling attention to oneself, and proud is vanity. Man, I see this everywhere. I am better than you because I'm more educated, because of my skin color, fill in the blank. I'm just better than you because of my political vanity. It is not rude. This is really important. In Greek, this means defiance against moral standards. Wow. This means that you like saying no to those who have authority over you. It's not self-seeking. Your life is about you. You think that finding yourself is the highest good. It's not easily angered. That's pretty obvious. Oh, and it keeps no record of wrongs. This doesn't mean you forget that everything, everything that everyone's done towards you. It means that you choose not to use it against them because you know in the end, God is a better judge than you. This isn't saying, by the way, you can't say, take someone to court if they've done something wrong, but you choose forgiveness over wrath. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You run to the gospel. You love truth. You love what is good. You love godly things. You don't give in. You don't accommodate. You don't love evil. You don't joke about evil things. You don't find joy in mass violence or sexual misconduct or rebellion or hate or racism. You don't find joy in addiction. Your life doesn't show everyone that you're against those who are called to lead you like parents, teachers, or pastors. You love truth. When you're online, you love truth. When you watch TV, you love truth. When you're in conversation... You do not love, you do not get excited, you do not promote, you do not sit with or swim in darkness. You love Jesus, you love his teaching, you love him, you love what he's about, and you can't wait, if you're growing in God's love, to treat friends and enemies like he did. How you doing? See, this is how love is expressed between each other. Oh, and remember, this is God-given love. You need the power of the Spirit to even give you the desire to do this, let alone accomplish it. But John just goes a little farther in verse 6. Oh, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. As you've heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. So loving Jesus for us as Christians is that we choose to obey him. Loving Jesus is not raising your hands in a worship service, though great. Loving Jesus is not just reading your Bible, which is great. Loving Jesus ultimately is expressed when we obey him. Uh, let me put it and bring it close to home. Why in the world would you as a Christian Choose not to sin. Why would you crucify your flesh, to use the old language? Why would you, why would any of us say no to something we love? Why would we not lie? Because lying gets us out of things, and sometimes it's fun. Why would we not steal, either physically steal or steal someone's reputation? Why not get into, give in to sexual sin? Just a little bit. Why? Oh, here it is. This is always about love. Because your love for Jesus is stronger than your love for these lesser loves. See, after you've been loved by Jesus and know that calling is true, after you continue to be loved by Jesus, as your identity is placed in his love, when our wounds are being addressed by his love, when our sin is being covered by his love, when our life becomes secure in his love, well, then we can love Jesus and others. And by the way, just as a side note, the Ten Commandments are a great place to start. The first five is how you love God. The second five is how we love uh, each other. Uh, they don't get you in. 
the Ten Commandments have this amazing thing. And again, you can go back and watch this series if you want to. You read the Ten Commandments and you see how much you're lost. You read the Ten Commandments and you're driven to a Savior. And after you're driven to a Savior, you receive incredible grace, not by works, but faith alone, grace alone, through Jesus alone, because he's the one who, what, perfectly obeyed the Ten Commandments. But then after that, the Ten Commandments don't become laws. They're life-giving ways to continue to walk in what you've met. It's how you love God and love others. Now, there's a lot here to start the year. Identity, truth, love, submission to God, obedience. But if you cannot see straight, you cannot stand straight. But now, even in this little time we've spent together, you now see, we now see. This is the great outline of our faith and what fullness is. That's why we're talking about faithfulness in this moment. Okay, as we begin this year, with lots ahead, we have no clue what's about to happen in so many ways. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Because some of you are like, I knew all of that, John. That's fine, again, let me say this. Sometimes hearing a sermon is not about learning a new thing. It's listening to what God is saying at the moment to you. Well, here's the first thing. We have to let God, there has to be a willingness in Sanctus Church to let God be God. The very first thing that we need to work out among us is that we choose in this church to let God be who he is based on the revelation through Jesus in the scriptures, not make him what we want him to be. See, God is not just love. God is holy. And God is not just holy. He's love. But we have to say to God, I am willing for you to be you, and I'm not going to try changing you. That may sound obvious, but it's a big deal. Here's the next thing. There has to be a willingness to let God form your core identity. To let Him form your core identity. That's like, yeah, 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 I get that. No. Called. Peace, mercy, grace. Like, these are the things. Here's the third thing. We need a willingness for God and His Word to shape what truth is for you. And for us, no matter what it changes or threatens in your lifestyle, your family, your job, your thinking, or your actions. Let me say that again. There needs to be a willingness across Sanctus Church for God and His Word, the Bible, to shape what truth is, no matter what it changes or threatens in your lifestyle, your family, your job, your thinking, or your actions. Remember, that comes after you've been loved. That comes after your core identity. But it matters. Fourth, there needs to be a willingness to let God show you how you're doing with his command, not his suggestion, his command to love one another. I'm not even going to bring up the lack of love everywhere in the world, let alone what I'm still watching online between many of you in church. We need to let actually ask God to point this out to us. How you're personally doing, how I'm personally doing with the command of love. And then at its heart, there needs to be a willingness to obey Jesus, no matter the cost. When we were experiencing a significant moment of renewal in our church, um, probably a decade ago now, I kept leading our church almost weekly in a prayer that said, God, you can do anything you want in my life. For your glory, 
my freedom so the world sees Jesus clearly. Let me say that again. We pray this all the time. God, you can do anything you want in my life for your glory first, then my freedom so the world can see Jesus clearly. It's interesting, in the last two weeks, I was in two different conversations where two separate people shared that two people they knew back then said to them, I will never pray that prayer. I will never pray that prayer. And when I talked to them about why, it was very obvious. It was about control. I'm not letting God have control. I need to be in control. I don't trust him. And the other person, when I was talking to them, no, I'll never pray that prayer because it was fear because they thought God was going to do something terrible to them. Again, fear and control. At this moment, we as a church, in all of our diversity and background, need to pray that prayer again and then specifically do this. So I'm, I'm going to lead a prayer for our whole church. And as I pray each section, I just want you out loud or in your heart to say, amen, I say yes. So would you join me? Because again, this could be such an amazing turning point in so many people's lives if we did this. So God, our Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, thank you that you are holy and you are truth and you are love and you are mercy. And so we want to pray the old prayer once again. God, in your fullness, you can do anything you want in my life. For your glory and my freedom, so the world can see Jesus clearly. Can you just say amen to that? Okay, now let's pray through this. God, I am willing to let you be God. <laughs> and I won't try changing you. Just say amen. God, I'm willing to let you, God, form the core of my identity. Just say amen. God, I am willing for you and your word to shape what truth is, no matter what it changes or threatens in my lifestyle, my family, my job, my friendships, my thinking, or my actions. I am willing for you to do what you need to do. Just say amen in Jesus' name. Here's the next one. God, I am willing to actually let you, Holy Spirit, show me how I'm doing with the command to love others. Just say amen to that. And God, I'm willing to obey Jesus no matter the cost. Because you are good and I do trust you. Lord, would you send your spirit, do incredible things, set people free, lead us in all truth, lead us into love. And yeah, just continue this incredible story and journey we're on together as a church. Would you not let the evil one steal, kill, or destroy? or worldliness choke out what people have prayed. Actually, Holy Spirit, literally begin to bring all of those yeses and amens to life and help others to trust you more. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.